Today, it's my pleasure to be speaking with the winningest basketball coach in Illinois State University history. She's a three-time conference coach of the year. She's coached two Olympians and 12 professional players. She's testified at the United States Congressional Hearings on Title IX. She's a member of the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame and multiple other Hall of Fames as well and has contributed largely to making women's basketball what it is today. Jill Hutchison. Thank you so much for coming on to the show today. I appreciate your time very much. Absolutely. I'm anxious to be here. <laughs> right on. Yes. You're so kind, by the way. You're you're quick to give compliments. I can't tell you how much that pumps me up here. I mean, you, before we started recording, you were very kind. So, so thanks for People doing that. People should know. This is a cool deal. Well, you are awesome. So let's talk basketball. What got you interested in the sport of basketball in the first place? Um. I think even as a kid, I really liked basketball, but I had an opportunity in seventh grade to play on an organized team, Um, and that just didn't happen back then. That would have been in the 50s, and think about it, you know, there weren't many opportunities, and I had a physical education teacher, and he decided to have a girls team, and we had an absolute blast, and that kind of set me on my journey. Okay, so it started with this PE coach back yeah. in the 50s who just decided, and this was a man? Yeah. A man, okay, yeah. interesting. Yeah. In the 50s, yeah, I feel like I never really heard of women's sports teams in any capacity. Oh, they were around, but okay. not in schools particularly. Actually, we played against uh, parochial schools. That was the only competition we had. Um in basketball, there was, during the 50s and even the 40s, there was a national AAU league for women that mm. was super competitive. I mean, some of the best athletes you could ever imagine. Wow. It's kind of a, it wasn't an outgrowth of uh, the league of their own, but it was a bit after that kind of a a, a model. And um, there were just... AAU was the sports governing body, so if there was international competition, you had to go through AAU to compete. Um, Women played in the Pan Am Games in the 50s and 60s, didn't get into the Olympics until 76. Wow. Oh, I'm kind of ashamed I didn't realize that. It seems like the athletic, athletic drive or the athletic desire has always been within women in the United States. It just hasn't gone recognized as formally in the school setting at least well i'm really into some of this history so um if you went back in the 20s there was a time they called that the golden age of women's sports and they had pro teams they had competitive basketball uh softball um golf obviously tennis and then and this was after world war one By the time we started approaching the Depression, there was a big movement by professional women physical educators who felt like the women that were playing in some of these sports programs, which were outside the educational framework, they were AAU or they were um, industrial league teams, uh, stuff like that. And so they felt like they were being... um, promoted inappropriately they thought it wasn't healthy that it was very unladylike mm-hmm. um and and back then if you were an athlete you had to really throw on the makeup and they would wear these you know shiny uniforms and stuff like that so the physical educators thought that that was really unethical and they started this huge movement so by the time we hit the Depression in the early 30s, opportunities for women in competitive sports were practically gone. And um, they even had a, a group that Mrs. Herbert Hoover was a part of that endorsed the fact that the things that, that girls and women should be doing in the school especially were calisthenics and marching and things like that. And that lasted way into the 60s. Huh. Wow. That's that's an awesome history lesson there. I didn't realize. Yeah. And then there were these little pockets um, of places in the country like um, like 
during the Second World War when you had the League of Their Own. And those women, there were some women from ISU that played in that league. And um, there was a little cluster out on the East Coast around the Philadelphia area. And there was a little cluster in California around the Orange County area and some of those kinds of places where they played some sports but not necessarily in the school curriculum. Mm-hmm. Well, how did sports then look different from how they look now? I mean, female sports, specifically female basketball, because if I understand correctly, it looked a lot different then, correct? Oh, the game was different. The, t- the, the format for competition was different. First, the game started on a court that was divided into thirds, and two players from each team would be in each section and you would advance the ball from one section to the other because females really couldn't run that much. You know, it was, we were going to drop our ovaries or something, and literally that's what they thought. Oh, it was a safety precaution? Oh, my God, yes. It was unbelievable. Um, I can remember my grandmother telling me about the three-court game, and she was playing in the 20s. Um, And then the game went to a half-court. So you'd have three people on each side, and that was a six-player game. You'd play like either a man-to-man kind of defense or a triangle zone, and you were either offense or defense. Hmm. Then in the early 60s, we went into what they called the roving game. In the rover, two people would stay on each side. Two players could go back and forth. And if you got tired, you could kind of pass a baton so somebody else could go back and forth as long as there weren't more than two. So that changed the strategy because now you had four people on a side. And so you had to play like a square or a diamond kind of a defense or play man or, you know, stuff like that. And this is is what era again? That was in the 60s. Wow. We played three on three through the 40s and 50s and early 60s. And then early in the 60s, I couldn't even tell you what year it was. I'm going to say it would have to have been 62 or 3. We went to the roving game. Then we didn't go to the five-player game until 70. Hmm. So women haven't played a full-court game until the last 50 years. Isn't that incredible? I can't hardly believe that. Last it, 50 years, yeah. since, like in the 80s, is when it was st- it was new in the 80s. 70s. It, okay. 70 is when we went to the five player. Oh, in 1970? Yeah, or sometime in, in 1970. Same. I get it. Okay, okay. And then the competition has changed. So when it started coming back, it wasn't considered feminine for women to compete in, in educational things. So... In the 30s, they had what they called a play day. And in a play day, um, let's say ISU had a team in Eastern and Northern, you'd all go to one campus, and you might take 20 gals um, on a trip, and then they would mix teams. So you might have two from ISU, two from Eastern, two from Northern. You'd get to compete, but you weren't supposed to actually go school to school. And that was called a play day. Weird. Why? What? Why did they not want you to compete? Because it's not feminine, you right. said? Yeah. They just Com- thought Competition's it was, not feminine. Right. Oh, it was, yeah, it was totally, women were supposed to be in the home. Um, by the 40s, it was really good to be a cheerleader, but you weren't <laughs> supposed to be on the team. And it just wasn't considered... Uh, part of the role model of of women during those times. It was just not a good thing. But we went from the play day to what we called the sports day. That lasted up until the late 60s. And in in the sports day, you got to compete with your own team. But you would play, oh, when I was in high school and college, we might play four games a day that were modified. So instead of a, a... you know, two 20-minute halves, you might play two 10-minute halves, but you'd play four games in a day. And then when you weren't playing, you'd officiate for somebody else's game. Mm -hmm. In high school, we even coached ourselves. Our coach would teach us everything 
during the week and then she would sit with other coaches in the locker room and have coffee and donuts and we would coach ourselves. <laughs> no it, way. Yeah, that's what got me interested in coaching, tell you the truth. Oh, no way. And she, my high school teacher in New Mexico, was a, a graduate of Illinois State. Hmm. And that's where she got her background. And did she play basketball at ISU? Uh, Surely ISU didn't have like a official she was, team. She was 4'10", so <laughs> no, but a um, bunch of her friends did. They mm. had some great athletes here then. Unbelievable. So I'm 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 surprised by the fact that women's sports have been a thing, a legitimate thing longer than I believed, but I'm also surprised with how silly some of the rules seemed oh. back in the day. And I want to ask one thing though. Were the women were you frustrated with these rules at the time or did you n- know nothing different so it was just normal? No, oh, no. I was totally frustrated. Really? Um, but I was the generation that that came around when things started to change. So um, I can remember sitting in a college class, and we were still playing sports days. And um, the professor was a leader on a national level in girls and women's sports. And she was – the lesson was about um, how to set up uh, a tournament and how to seed a bracket and, you know, those kinds of things. And I just raised my hand. I said, is there a reason why women don't get to play in these kinds of tournaments that the guys do and the women don't? I got ripped from one end to the other about how inappropriate it was and, you know, don't even go there. And I walked out of that class and I thought, I'm going to change things. This isn't going to keep happening. And that was in like 1965-66. Were you pretty alone amongst your peers? Like the teachers thought one thing, but did your peers agree with you? They were just scared to say? There was a small group probably. In fact, uh, that small group, many of them went on to coach in high schools or colleges in the 70s. Um, I don't think it was a predominant trend at that point but the other thing that's interesting about women's sports they totally followed women's role in society so if you went back to the 1890s and women were in long dresses and um, corsets and stuff like that the only thing they did was maybe ride a bike or play a little tennis as the the role of women, they went into the workplace finally. Well, that then the bloomers came. Then basketball came. Then they went into a um, thing where they were actually working in the 20s. And, you know, you think about the, the image of a female in the 20s with the cigarette and, you know, the dancing yeah. and stuff like that. That's when sports were really pretty popular. Then you go on to the 30s, and now they're back into dresses, no pants, and women got out of the business field except for teaching and um, secretaries and nurses. So as, as the role of women changed, so did sports for women. When was the Great Depression again? In the 30s. Right. After the roaring 20s, when people were getting reckless, they were on their high horses. Exactly. Women were probably ultra confident at that time. They're smoking. They're doing their own thing a little bit. And then hard times hit. It's like, okay, let's all go back 10 years when it was safe. You got it. Yeah. Interesting. It just changed uh, the role of women totally. And then, you know, think about it. Then in the 40s, the guys go off to war. The women go into the workplace, all of a sudden, they're doing everything guys did before. And then we have <laughs> wow. the league of their own. They're even playing pro pro baseball. The guys come back. The women go back into the home in the late 40s, early 50s. So it wasn't until the um, women's lib movement in the 60s that things started to change drastically. The second wave of feminism, is that what it was called? Exactly. Uh, First wave was like voting rights. Second wave was, well, what was the second wave? What were they liberating themselves from? I mean, it seems like they were tossed around just in accordance with whatever men were doing. And then, you know, they had to go here because men came back. They had to go here because men went away. And it's it it kind of makes me sad. You know, I feel bad for them. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so was it, was it kind of they were stepping away? Well, maybe you can explain it. It was more job opportunities. 
Um, I think a lot of women were ready to get out of the home mm-hmm. and have real jobs and find ways to take care of their kids and stuff while they go to work. Um, I think they felt they were as capable as men, but they weren't getting those opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really what sparked Title IX. Very interesting. Title IX is something I want to talk about here in a sec. And I also want to ask you about, you know, your career as a player. Of course, your career as a coach. And we'll get to that all in just one second. But first, I want to give a quick thank you to a wonderful, beloved local sponsor. That's Dave's Supermarket in Fairbury. You ever been to Dave's or heard of Dave's? Absolutely. Hasn't everybody? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Here is a message from Dave's. They rock. Whoops. We got 10 seconds here. Since 1950, Dave's Supermarket in Fairbury has been wowing customers throughout central Illinois with their unmatched customer service, delectable deli market, beloved grocery carryout service, and many other fortes, which is why they've earned hundreds of five-star reviews online. Dave's Third Street Deli has plenty of seating and is a destination place to meet your family and friends for good food, fun, and fellowship. Not only is their homestyle fried chicken here the best around, but you can also enjoy free coffee and 50 cent ice cream every single day. And be sure to check out their Old World Bakery while you're here, where freshly baked goods are prepared every morning. You'll find hundreds of unique and signature items here at Dave's that you won't find anywhere else, like their famous potato salad, ham loaf, and canned meats, just to name a few. Dave's Supermarket is open Monday through Saturday from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. and offers online shopping and curbside services. Come experience this revered location that puts a super in supermarket when you shop at Dave's in Fairbury, Illinois. Wowing the customer for over 70 years. All right, that was Dave's Supermarket in Fairbury, Illinois. Everyone loves Dave's, but we left off just a second ago talking about well we were talking about the you know what women had to go through from the 20s to the 30s and everything like that and the liberation movement for women and that kind of leads into what title 9 is and that's what I want to that's what I want to talk about next what what was title 9 and what did it do for women exactly title 9 is federal legislation that is part of the educational amendment act of 1972 it was precipitated by uh, a lady named Bernice Sadler and then a friend of hers. They called her Bunny. She was trying to get admitted to a grad school for a uh, doctorate in philosophy or psychology, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Anyway. She got her her information back and said, I'm sorry, but um, we can't accept you. Um, we're not accepting women into the program. And she finally decided, uh, her husband was a, a university professor as well, and so she decided to try and make some changes. And she went through some politicians, and I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff that went with that, but... Um, Eventually, that went to the Senate, and a Senator Bly from Indiana, his wife, got on board, and so he helped push it through. So when Title IX was passed in 72, it was designed to get women into professional schools in higher education. Mm-hmm. At the time, there was maybe 2% women in medical schools you know, legal schools, um, vets. And so it opened the door and it requires, Title IX requires any institution that receives federal funding to provide equal opportunity by gender for everybody in the program. Mm. And so legally, if it was a, a, a med school, you have to have opportunities for 50% men and 50% women. Mm-hmm. Now, it's grown so much that there's probably more women in professional schools than there are guys. But mm-hmm. there are also more women in universities than there are guys. Yeah, and they perform better on average. Uh, academically, mm-hmm. yes. Um, 
there was no intent when Title IX passed to have an impact on uh, school athletics or college athletics. It was kind of a byproduct of the fight they did for higher education. But once they realized that every institution was receiving federal funds, even private schools receive federal funding, Hmm. which required them to meet guidelines for Title IX. And so they have to provide equal opportunities for women as well as men in the sports programs. Um, It took them six to eight years to figure out guidelines of what made it legal. And I wish I brought some of that information for you. But um, for instance, there has to be, if, if you have 50, 60% women like ISU, 60% women, 40% men enrolled in Illinois State. That means technically 50, 60% of the scholarship money needs to go to women, 40% to men doesn't happen on I don't think any campus in the country but it went from zero for women to probably 45 to 50 percent to women wait a minute okay so first of all it seems like title nine the main purpose was to end sex-based discrimination right at least in the classroom but then inadvertently it did it to with athletics as well sure you said that it's you're supposed do women's athletics in men's athletics, as far as scholarships go, and academic scholarships, do they both, do schools get the same amount of money for men and women, and then it's just like, use this up? When you say get, they get a, a, a package of money, and then those programs within the institution have to delve it out. So, and it, it's not just the federal money, it becomes all the money in the, in the pot. Oh, so from donors and everything, it yeah. all goes into the same pot? Does oh, it get yeah. split down the middle? You know, if ISU is sitting on a million dollars and at the beginning of the year, does half go to women's stuff, half goes to men's? Is no. it supposed to? Um, technically, okay. but it doesn't. Hmm. Um, and I don't think it has on any campus around the country. I think the Power Five schools probably have a bigger discrepancy than a school like Illinois State, which works really hard for equity. Um, But the thing that skews the whole thing is football. And I love football. I think it's it's an integral part of a college experience Mm -hmm. and an integral part of our, our athletic programs. It pays a lot of bills at most schools, too. Rarely. Rarely? That is such a misconception. Oh, my. Explain. Football, probably, I, I'm going to say maybe 20% of the schools in the country have a profit in football. You think so? Yeah. It, it, it's documented that there's so much money put into football that it overbalances what you get at the gate. And the real money in college sports now is in television. So that's why all the conferences are going for, for TV contracts that are getting more and more lucrative. And it's by conference. So even when you have a terrible season, if you're the bottom of the Big Ten, you're going to make your share of money out of that TV contract. Um, but very few schools. I mean, think about the salaries that are going to college coaches now. Mm-hmm especially at the Power Fives. Like half a million contracts, more oh. than that even? I don't oh. know. Do they oh break a million or something? Go- oh, several coaches are <laughs> way over know. a million. Yeah. Oh, I mean, Saban, I think, is it? God, I'm going to say three or four million. I'm not sure. Where's he at? He's at Alabama. Oh, okay. And so there's a whole lot of programs that are making more money than that, uh, or that are paying more than that. But their assistants are making more than our heads. So, I mean, the amount of money that goes into salaries, the amount that goes into facilities, to uniforms, and in a school like that, there are 120 guys on scholarship. Well, let's just say 120 scholarships, and you've got to make it equal with the women. 
So the women in most schools have more sports so they can meet those criteria mm. and to balance that 120. But you're, you're a wrestler, mm-hmm. so you appreciate, Paul, the fact that some wrestling programs have been dropped. Yeah, yo, trust. Yeah, the past few years, it's horrible. It is. It's terrible. And people blame gender equity and Title IX on dropping wrestling and men's gymnastics and men's swimming. And it, now in some schools, even in the Power Fives, men's track and field cross country. So they drop those programs so they can maintain their football program. And that's the choice. So they blame the women because they've had to drop it for gender equity when, in fact, so much of the money goes into football. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it's really, um, it, it's, I think it's tough on the men's minor sports, and I'm very sympathetic for that because it's taken away opportunities for those guys, and yet it's still got to provide opportunities for women's sports and they still aren't getting the same number of scholarships or financing that the men are mm-hmm. in power five schools. Football's budget is greater than the entire women's athletic budget. Mm-hmm. Almost across the board. Like all the sports combined. That's right. Mm-hmm. And to, to compete, and stay up with the Joneses, they have to do that to keep their football programs competitive. Do do all universities that receive federal funding that have to adhere to Title IX, which is mostly all of them, I would assume, do they have to have the same amount of men's sports as they do women's sports? No. It's, no, okay. it's by head counts. Ah. So, you know, Illinois State, I think, has two more women's sports than men's just to match the head count. Okay, so it's it, it comes down to the number of athletes is That's what right. has to be equal. That's right. Okay. And it doesn't have to be exactly equal. It just has to be close. I see. And then Title IX also requires equal, um, they call it a laundry list. Um, the NCAA tournament's a great example of this. Why did uh, the men have these beautiful weight rooms last year at the NCAA tournament for the final four and the women were in this little closet with a a couple of weights. Um, Those have to be equal. So the NCAA is trying to change their image and, and try and correct that this year. So the women have those things Um, for the first time ever, the women got a free meal if they were at the NCAA tournament, the guys have been doing that for years, but because a student athlete went on social media and, complained that here's the guys here's the women's and that just went crazy so people saw the the inequities and now ncaa is trying to change that what do you think about like professional sports teams like uh the women's soccer or WNBA versus nba that's different right it is because okay. it doesn't involve federal funding right um i really i was so excited though when the soccer women's soccer got the agreement they did with pro soccer i thought that was huge what was that agreement just for um, that they were gonna get the same salary um not individually but that the salaries for for women pro soccer were going to match those of men and part of that had to do with going on to the world cup and paying those athletes the same on both sides and in the past it's probably been men at least one and a half to two times more than the women. And these are like the federal checks, like the from the USA soccer or something like that? Yeah, is but what that's, has to be equal? that's not out of federal money. That's oh. out of donated money. Okay, okay. Huh. So, but they're just asking for equity. And I think it's a hot issue and therefore... Yeah. And the women are more successful than the men in soccer. As far as like records on and stuff go. international level, yeah. And so they were trying to demand what they thought they deserved. The only thing, though, you know, just to play devil's advocate on the other side is, is what makes the money is how many people tune in to watch the program on TV. And if men get, you know, 10 times the amount of eyeballs, which are 10 times the amount of potential buyers for the advertisers that run commercials on those 
on those, you know, during the, the game, are they entitled then to 10 times the amount of uh, profit? I, I totally understand your argument, but at the same time, the visibility of women's sports versus men on national television is 2% to 98%. So they're just not getting the airtime either. Yeah. So it's, the women's games are not promoted. Women's soccer is on, they probably have over 50% of the airtime, but it's during the World Cup or the Olympics. And women's mm. basketball has a window for the Final Four, softball for the World Series. And they're on short windows, but across huh. the board, um, most women's games are streamed. Most men's games are on national cable or national Broadcasted. networks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, not to, not to just argue with you here. No, good. But like... Yeah, I, I want to keep hitting you with the other side. Um, yeah. A lot of people would say that women's sports would get more airtime if they were more enjoyable and entertaining right. to watch. What, what do you say to that? I think that's always been the argument that they have to be more of more interest to spectators. Exactly. The women's, it's what comes first, the chicken or the egg. Do you get it out there in front of people so they see what they can do and then they get on the bandwagon or do you have to wait until they start to get a crowd? Um, I think if people watch the final four right now That's for it. women, I think it, in fact, it, it's always interesting to me, people that come to the women's game at, at ISU, their comment to me, and I know they say it because I'm a women's basketball coach, but I hear it all the time. The women are more fun to watch than the guys. Why? Because it's a finesse game for the women. It's a power game for the guys. So the thing that gets the crowd going for a men's game is the dunk. <laughs> they don't get all pumped up about the defense uh, or running a really cool offense that creates a great open shot. The women's game is only about that finesse. Women are typically better shooters than guys because they, they need a skill to get to the basket. So ball handling, things like that for women tends to be, and, and I'm not talking about the elite elite. And there's totally a difference between male and female athletes. But oh, the, you said it. Totally. <laughs> you heard it here first. Just because of strength and mm -hmm. body size, that's why they don't compete with one another. But the <laughs> game itself and how they play the game the women's game is finesse. The guys is power. If you like a finesse game, the, watch the women's Final Four. It's it's a great game right now. And some really talented athletes. Great points. Well said. And I know when you're talking about finesse and everything, I watch a lot of college wrestling and a lot of international wrestling, Olympic wrestling. And watching women's wrestling is a lot of fun because it's not power. I think you said it perfectly. It's finesse. It's technique. It's being right. slick. It's being technical and all the rest and it's very fun to watch and I want to ask you about something that you kind of touched on the differences in men and women and their physical abilities I don't know if you're you know up to date on the news or anything but with Leah Thompson and everything and swimming transgender issues right. I want to get your thoughts on that in just a second but first here's a quick word from Fairbury Furniture Central Illinois premier furniture store check them out Fairbury Furniture is Central Illinois' premier furniture store. This family-owned business offers a vast selection of premium furniture items from all of your favorite brands, including Sealy, Best Home Furnishings, Leather Italia, Tempur-Pedic, and Ashley, just to name a few. And right next door to their gorgeous 7,000-square-foot furniture showroom, you will find the Fairbury Furniture Mattress Store, home to all of the latest and greatest mattresses in any and all sizes. Also inside Fairbury Furniture is the popular WC Market, a beloved shop that offers an ever-changing selection of unique gifts and fashionable home decor. Here at Fairbury Furniture, the staff is always helpful and friendly, and they are well-stocked with all the mattresses, tables, chairs, recliners, couches, and decorative pillows that your heart desires. So make your home interior beautiful, comfortable, stylish, and delightful when you shop at Fairbury's own Fairbury Furniture. Come on down to Fairbury Furniture where the furniture rocks. All right, that was Fairbury Furniture, Central Illinois' premier furniture store. 
Love that place. Rick Wilson, you are the man. So anyway, we were just talking about, you know, the differences between men and women in sports in their in their natural natural biological abilities. Have you heard of the right now it's a hot topic. We're filming this on what's the date today? March uh it's late March and you know, Leah Thompson is big in the news um, that she is a trans woman, a biological man who in the past few years has transitioned into being a woman and they have dominated. I shouldn't say dominant. Well, they did. They, uh, she, Leah, won um, a race with a great time. They won the national title for some swimming event. I forget. And they weren't they were ranked like 473rd or something in men's swimming the year prior and so i guess i want to ask you you know first of all have you heard about that do you have any thoughts on that specific case in yeah, yeah. i think you'd have to be in a closet to not hear about it exactly it's, yeah. it's definitely national news especially in the sports world and it's it's a tough situation i think but something i read is is about requiring a certain amount of time after the hormonal changes before they can compete which i think may have some potential in other words um testosterone is the hormone that gives strength and size to an individual and that's why males are taller and stronger than females even I mean if you took two individuals that were comparable in size the guy if you if you started lifting and working out that much you're always going to put on more muscle mass than the female will oh yeah myostatin levels there's so much and then you, you talk about testosterone in these hormones that occur in men actually they occur at puberty you know that's when the real changes start taking right. place greater bone density, uh, superior athletic skeletal structure, their muscle fibers operate in different ways, their hormones are totally different, and then they're permanent. So even if you do transition and you take hormones and hormone blockers at 22 years old, well, the the massive athletic advantages have already made themselves permanent in a lot of ways, you know, wider shoulders, uh, denser bones, different muscle fibers, more myostatin, more power output and everything. And so it's like, yeah, you can have adequate testosterone levels. And this is just my opinion, you know, say your part, but, but the advantage is still there, at least from how I see it. But how do you see it? Well, I haven't studied it enough to give you a great answer, but from what I read recently, I thought that the muscle mass would not deteriorate, but it would be less as the body transitioned out of the testosterone. And that's true. That's true, I believe. And so if it takes a period of time for that to happen, it seems to me that they should have an opportunity to compete, but they should wait until this period of time so there's not an unfair physical advantage if that's going to really make a difference. So I'm really torn because I feel like people should have the opportunity to compete if they want to compete, but I also feel like it needs to be fair. Exactly. And it boils down to that, you know, how much of an advantage do they have exactly, if any at all, when a woman or when a man transitions into a woman, you know, I want to be, I want to be very kind to this demographic of people. It's, it's un, I shouldn't say it's unfortunate. You talk about being careful with what right. you say here. Right. But it's like this, this demographic transgender people, their suicide rate is sky high. Right. And so you, the last thing I would want to do is, I hate to say hurt their feelings. I feel like that's too something, but it's like, I don't mean any harm towards them, but I do know that sports, you know, sports are extremely important. And if you play at the high school level, sometimes a scholarship's on the line. Sometimes, you know, when people take sports so seriously, a loss is as bad as a death in the family. I, oh, yeah. I'm having a guy on soon. He's um he's at the University of Iowa. He's a standout wrestler from Illinois, Jake mm -hmm. Warner. Mm -hmm. And he recently got second in the nation. And I know that devastated him. Mm-hmm. And I, I know it's that way with a lot of women. And to have, say you're the number one seed, but you're, you're, you're ranked number one, you're the, you're the favorite, but all of a sudden 
a transgender woman beats you, it's just it's tough because you don't know how much of an advantage they have. A lot of people think it's a huge advantage to go from 473rd in men's to first in women's in one year. That's a big jump. What do you think in terms of basketball, though? Like, do you what are your thoughts on men transitioning into women, biological men becoming women, and then playing in your sport? It would be interesting to say the least because they'll be able to jump higher. They'll be stronger on the boards. That doesn't mean they'll be more skilled, but right. they will play the the physical part of the game differently than women do. Um, at the same time, I've seen some women that really have a high testosterone count, and it's very obvious because of their body build, and they can dominate, and they're not transgender. So... Um, that's a really good question. I don't know how it would impact a basketball game, but certainly they would bring a different uh, a different type of game to the floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's like women may be more, plenty of women may be more skilled technically than plenty of men. But if a, if a trans woman can come into the game and charge down the court faster than anyone and slam one down, it still points on the board. You know what I mean? So it, it does affect, it doesn't matter. You know, if if you can get past and run down the court faster than everyone else and slam one down, it seems like an advantage to me. It could be. Just yeah. my thoughts right now. What I, do I, I know? think it's going to take a while to figure out how to blend transgenders into sport. Um, but I hope we don't uh, eliminate them from those opportunities. Right. Of course. Agreed. You know, and they, they deserve to play. But it, it has to be fair. Like it does. In some people, I've had a, a doctor on that works with transgenders and specializes with transgender children, which mm-hmm. is a, an interesting topic in itself. But it seems like he was saying, you know, let them play. Let trans women play with women, period. It's just sports. That's where I disagree. Sports are very important. I mean, sports are, are timeless. Sports are in the Bible. Um it, Jacob wrestles God or the angel, and then they call the land Israel, which is means to wrestle with God. I mean, sports are important. Competition's important. So I, I hesitate to say anything like, it's just sports. Let them play. I, I can agree, but I also think sports sometimes out of perspective. And as someone who spent my whole career in sports, I think... It's a part of life. It's not life. And losing sucks. That's all there is to it. I don't care what level you play on. You don't want to lose. But the value in sports is not the wins and the losses. The value is in the life lessons that you gain from sports and sports participation and the relationships that you develop through sport. So once you walk away from sports, yeah, there's some people that can tell you every play and every game, and that's their identity, which to me is not healthy. I think your identity's got to be within you of who you are and what kind of a person you want to be. And that's what sports should give you. If we have a reunion, they tell the stories, but what's important are the relationships they developed. What's important are the the lessons they're teaching their kids now, and that's the value in sport. Right. Yes, the relationships are everything, and I want to ask you about your relationships in a second with your athletes because I've heard some really remarkable stories, but also there's, who was it? It was a recent study by some, I want to say it was an Ivy League university. Maybe it was Harvard or something where they looked at, it was a long-term study, like decades long, and they wanted to see what were the key indicators of happiness in older age. And they found that the number one predictor of happiness in older age was the number of relationships, meaningful relationships that you held. The more of those that you have, that you enjoy, the happier you are in, on average. So, you know, you ever see an old, lonely person that's very happy? Like, Never. Doubt it. Yeah. 
That's great research. Yeah, it's it's interesting stuff. But before I ask you about all your relationships and those incredible stories, I have to give a quick thank you to another local sponsor, Ultra Physical Therapy in Lexington, Illinois. They might make you a professional basketball player, male or female. Newsflash, no one likes being injured or being in pain. And if you're suffering from joint or muscle pain or recovering from a sports injury or a recent surgery, Ultra Physical Therapy in downtown Lexington, Illinois is here to help. They are a locally owned physical therapy company that can treat everyone from the star cheerleader to the farmer getting ready for harvest to the professional office worker to the grandmother who wants to be able to play with her grandchildren. The therapists at Ultra Physical Therapy have a combined 25 years of experience and are trained in cutting edge interventions including dry needling, blood flow restriction training, cupping, and the use of massage and joint manipulation. They are also skilled in developing exercise and rehabilitation programs to get you back to doing all the things that you love to do. So free yourself from those aches and pains that are slowing you down and give them a call at 309-365-2500 to schedule an appointment or just to ask questions. Come to Ultra Physical Therapy in Lexington and we'll keep you moving. That was Ultra Physical Therapy in Lexington, Illinois. And you were just saying that, uh, you know, it's hard to find a good physical therapist. Have you ever had to try to search for one for yourself? Yeah, I've found a couple here in town that just were phenomenal. Care to name who they are? (laughs) Give them a quick shout out. I'll tell you, the most important to me was a guy named Tim Highland. He works for... I've heard his name, um, actually. Yeah, he works for, uh, I think it's Neurosciences. and he helps re- rehab people with back issues. I mean, he saved me from a surgery, and I thought he was to die for. He's excellent. I actually might have had an episode with um, a female Division One swimmer from Stanford University. I filmed a little mini-doc for her, and I think they she had, like, multiple doctors tell her she was going to have back surgery. Yeah. Back surgery at, like, 20 years old, D1 swimmer, and she went to this guy hopefully I got the right guy, but he told her, you don't need surgery, stay away from surgery, but this is going to take a long time, but we're going to get better. And he even like introduced mindfulness and meditation to her and stuff. And she's fine. She swims like a champ now. That's awesome. It's that's incredible. So this, that ad for, um, ultra physical therapy turned into an ad for this guy, but you know what? That's okay. That's okay. I'm sure they're both doing a good job. Yeah. (laughs) So we were talking about your relationships, you know, relationships are important. And I actually had one of your players, I wish I remembered her name, reach out to me and say that you had a profound impact on her life. I think it was in the late eighties at ISU she had a, and she posted publicly about this, so I think I can say it. She, she had a drinking issue, and somehow you really served a crucial role in her not dropping out and not succumbing to her addiction. So maybe you could speak about that, but also speak about the importance of your relationships with your players. What did those look like, and and why were they important? You know, I feel like college sports should be educational, and I think it ought to be all about life lessons. I think basketball was the tool for me and the people were the goal. And so I also feel like the four years of college are some of the most formative years of your life. Mm -hmm. You're away from home, you're away from your support system, and you really have to test your value system and who you are and who you want to be. So it's a formative time to have some influence on people. I love that part of the job. Um, And I think I I always felt a responsibility that if if a gal came into our program, it was our job to help her grow up and be a better person and be able to contribute to her community in one way or another. So um, that was always a goal. And... um, the relationships, lots of kids have stayed in touch. I really, really have enjoyed that and watched them as they've gone on to their careers or raised their families or, or done whatever in their lives. And um, it, it's been a, a very rewarding experience for me. That's awesome. It seems like you never succumbed to 
the idea win at all costs and winning's the most important thing and and even sports is the most important thing. It seems like you kept things in pretty good perspective, which is saying something because you were still the winningest basketball coach at ISU. It's like yeah, how'd you how'd you balance those things? Yeah, losing was the worst thing in the world. I mean, <laughs> I'm serious. I hate to lose. I can't stand losing at anything. And so when you do lose, you have to process that in a positive way somehow and learn from that experience. And so, like I say, basketball is the tool. It's not the end game. And I think if people could keep that in perspective, like parents of kids playing, you know, youth sports, I've been to games where people are screaming at the officials, screaming at the kids and the coaches, you know, mad because their kid doesn't play as much or play the position they want. I'm thinking, really? Really? How is this helping your kid grow up and process things? And we've just got to be able to try and keep things in perspective. I went to a seventh grade game once and parents were screaming because you need to play my kid so she can get a scholarship. Really? <laughs> seventh grade? Seventh grade. Come on. Give me a break. And you know, we've got some of that stuff so out of perspective. It, it's it's unfortunate in many ways. Have you ever, first of all, have you always been that way? Like, have you, how do I say this? Maybe I want to ask, Have you has your desire to not lose ever gotten the best of you? Like, have you ever kind oh, of yeah. reacted to losing in, in ways you're not proud of? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there were times that I'd go into the locker room and say things just out of anger not at the kids but about the game that were not helpful to that kid and that's probably what I have my greatest regrets about after one situation I don't even remember the game or what happened but um, I quit making comments after the game I had to wait step away and you know gather my thoughts before I would I would even say anything so I'd wait till the next morning that's extremely smart. In the heat of the moment, we can say things we absolutely do not mean oh. that are just foolish and products of emotions just being too right. high, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I've I've done some stupid things. I don't think I ever did stupid things on the court particularly, but I definitely did afterwards. Mm-hmm. Do you have any stories or anything that you care um, to share? No, but I, I, I've had a couple of kids tell me how much I hurt them with a couple mm. of comments. And that just killed me, you know. You, you know, there was a book written by this guy that he was a professional soccer coach that coached a men's team. I don't know what country, maybe it was the United States, coached them to a soccer world championship. And then he became the female coach, and he also coached them to a soccer world championship. Mm-hmm. And he said a big difference was, you know, with men, he could come in and come into the locker room at halftime and say, you know, what's wrong with you guys? He'd throw a trash can and it got them all on the right page and it got them pumped up and they were ready. And he said he learned slowly with women, it's just different psychologies. He came in and he he said, his like best line was, well, what do you guys think? Women are extremely good at being their own worst critic, it seemed, at least in his eyes. Mm-hmm. And if you, if they're losing and you said something insulting to him, he learned that, you know, that's, you're not doing yourself any favors. It doesn't get him motivated. Is that true at all? Or is Absolutely. That... Okay. Yeah, and every guy that has coached men and goes to women will tell you the same thing. Mm-hmm. You've got to treat them differently. And part of it is, I guess, our emotional makeup with hormones as much as anything. But um, guys typically, and Paul, you're an athlete, don't mind telling a teammate, you suck, you got to do this and da-da-da. If a girl did that to another girl, then this click would form and that click would form and they'd all backbite and uh-huh. you would lose your entire team chemistry. Yeah. It, it, and, I mean, think back to high school days when girls were always into little cliques. And, no, yeah, exactly. It, yeah. And women are like that. It's really, it's really a problem sometimes. I mean, so you relationships are huge with women. If they don't get along, they don't play together and teamwork is really sacrificed. You might literally, you might know full well what I'm about to say or what I'm about to cite, but I've, I've read about there's these really well done studies among 
adolescents or kids really on, on playgrounds and how they go about bullying. And they found that boys were much more inclined to to fight, physically fight. But the weird thing is, you know, anxiety would spike in these kids and they would fight. And then sometimes, oftentimes even, they would bond after and they'd be closer afterwards and the fight would be over. But with girls, same age group, like we're talking six, seven, eight, nine years old, on the playground, they wouldn't fight ever. They would socially bully and they would you know pull some of this girl's friends over here and that would be devastating to the girl that no longer has friends and then it would last for years even. oh absolutely and it's like that's vicious oh girls can be just brutal to each other they can it's, be and you know i'd rather take a punch to the face yeah than that and stuff. get over it but uh-huh. you know part of that's kind of gone into this generation where women don't promote other women because they're going to be better than them, which is so wrong. I mean, guys, if a guy has a bad year coaching and he gets fired, there's some guy that's going to hire him. If women get fired, it's like you're dog meat, you, huh. you know, and, and they, they have trouble getting back in. And women don't support women. I mean, some do. I'm just saying. So it, it, women can be terrible to one another. Which is unfortunate. How do you support women? How do women support women? Like, what are some ways? You know, ideally, um, let's take broadcasting since you're into broadcasting. You got it. Awesome. Okay. So, if most people realize you're going to make some money in broadcasting, and so you want to move up the ladder, if there's a female coming in to start broadcasting and um, whatever it is, then do you, you teach them how to get better? Do you help them prep for games? Or do you leave them hanging out there and not recommend them to other people and not mm. help them move up the ladder? Well, women backbite. They don't help them move up, which is ridiculous. That's why we don't have as many women broadcasting nationally. I mean, mm. look at the difference in male broadcasters and females because women don't help women. Hmm. It's just really sad. It's so interesting also because, you know, you would think if you just looked at it from a surface level that helping other people succeed and do better would hurt you in that you're not taking that top spot or you, you'd think it'd be hindering your own progress. For some weird reason, I don't think that's the case. It almost works opposite. Exactly. The more people you help, you know, it's it's like the song. A rising you, tide raises all boats for one yeah, thing. Yeah, you lift my wings and, you know, the whole thing. How's Help that song one go? another. I can't get out. I can't even think of it right now. <laughs> okay, dang. Oh, you know it. I, I just went blank on you. Um, it's not the you one. Are, you are the wind beneath my wings. Oh, I don't know the song, but oh, it sounds nice. It's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, the more you help one another. And isn't that true on a team? If you mm-hmm. don't make the kid next to you better, then your team's not going to get better. And so I think that that's a lesson through team sports that women need to embrace in life right beautifully put and i've got a couple more questions here and then i've got some rapid fire and then we will cut this thing we'll end it but i want to ask what does the future of women's basketball in america look like how's it trending and what do you think the future looks like i think the talent's getting better people gals are starting to play at a younger age they're getting better coaching at youth levels so they're developing the skills. I saw a thing on a kid that's in seventh grade that could be playing college basketball right now. She is just a phenom from Iowa, I think it is. But um, so I think the game is going to get better, more sophisticated skill-wise. Coaching will continue to improve. Conditioning is going to improve. And I think the game will continue to progress. So I think all things point to great progress. I I'd like to think gender equity will play into that um, and that there will be more opportunities for women and maybe some more WNBA teams, more coaching for women instead of guys coaching women. I'd love to see that change. I'd love to see better crowds, and that's only going to change if we can get them on the air more. Mm -hmm. So I think pressure from – women's basketball fans and teams and so forth 
is only going to help all of that. But the role of women is changing. So the role of women in sports will continue to progress. Very interesting. I look forward to the future of women's basketball and, and you know, what you said about their their presence in the media and on the air is very interesting. I wonder if we could just give equal time, equally solid time slots even for their games if crowds wouldn't start to pick up in, in the WNBA and in women's basketball in general. That's, that's all very interesting stuff. And I guess I want to ask one more thing. It's, it's broad here. It's a big question. Why do you love basketball? <laughs> I loved playing it. It was just fun. I, I mean, it's a great game. I love the teamwork. Um, I love the strategy in it. I mean, that part was fun. Um, it, it's just a fun game for women and involves a lot of skill and uh, understanding. I, it's just a great game. <laughs> And you know that's a good question. Hey, well, thank you. I didn't have a great answer for that one. <laughs> I just love the game. And it, it's funny, you know, we're talking about women's pay and their recognition on the air. And I didn't even ask about th- that girl in the news, a WNBA player. What is her name? Um, Brittany Griner. Griner. That's She's, in Russia. Yeah, yeah, for having like some vape pens with CBD or or yeah, CBD in them. It was called a hashish or whatever. Yeah. But man, what an interesting story there. But she was in Russia playing in the off season because she makes a million bucks there and a quarter of that here. Right. Europe has always paid more than the U.S. And until the WNBA, all of them went to Europe to play. Um, We've had several kids from ISU that played over there. Um, But they have better audiences. And so it's a club sport kind of a uh, an environment and usually a club will have male and female teams and it's just very popular over there interesting very interesting well, okay i got a few rapid fire questions here for you first one best player you've ever coached from isu i guess oh, you only that's coached not at fair. ISU, right? yeah i did okay <laughs> that's not fair I, I i don't like doing that i had two olympians um But I had some other players that were difference makers and stuff. But Charlotte Lewis was in the first Olympic team in 76. Kathy Boswell was on the 84 Olympic team. Um, Those two were special. But I could tell you another two dozen names of special players um, that, that played at Illinois State. What about, I want a couple, I want a few names at least. Maybe most talented Hmm. Most quickest even. I'll, I'll give you a local one. Marla Moppin, Cleveland. Um, she was from, um, I was going to say Danvers, but that's not right. Anyway, she's a, a farm kid, walked in, had hardly played ever, and we gave her a tryout. She ended up um, an All-American. She ended <laughs> up playing overseas. She she coached at Wesleyan. She coached with me at ISU. Her daughter was uh, an All-American volleyball player at Purdue that just graduated. She's got two boys that played that are both D1 players. One's going to Liberty next year. Uh, one's only a sophomore. I mean, her story is phenomenal. What's her name again? Marla Moppin Cleveland. Interesting. Wow. Heck of a story there. She yeah. came into college barely playing any basketball before, and then she turns into an All-American. Yeah, and she, I mean, she did it all. She's taught her kids a game. Uh, she's a tremendous teacher, a great mom, great player, great coach. Yeah. Wow. So that's that's one local one that you could touch base with. Yeah, absolutely. Well, how about best WNBA player ever? Uh, I don't have a good answer for that. I love Sue Bird because I like point guards because she's got the brains to play. Um, she makes everybody around her better. Uh, oh, my God. Oh, Brittany Griner is probably one of the best posts to play in the WNBA. Um, Lisa Leslie. There's a slew of those kids. I mean, they've all played Olympic ball, too. And so they're super talented and really good. Um, Yeah, it's a fun group. Mm -hmm. That was kind of like your top two or three then right there. Yeah, kind of. Got it. Best NBA player of all time. Oh, I don't have that one down at all. I don't watch much NBA, to tell you the truth. Um, 
so I don't have a good answer for that one. You can't even, it's not Michael Jordan or LeBron James? Mm, I loved watching Jordan. I, you know, he was so skilled. I mean. Yeah, you talk about finesse and technique. Yeah, probably of all of them, I liked his game the best. You know, LeBron's more of a power kind of guy. Right. Um, but Humongous yeah. guy, yeah. Yeah. I, I think Michael Jordan just had great skills. I would agree with you on that one. And who's a former player that you're very proud of today? You know, off the court stuff or oh on the court. Goodness. There's so many. I, I, I don't like identifying I know, one this, kid. I didn't think these questions would go like this. No, I, <laughs> no, I hate that because it's all about team. You know, I just... Uh, Understood. They're, they're just... Uh, t- I, I, I can't even answer that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. I'll ask one more here. Oh, maybe maybe two more. What's your favorite personality trait about yourself? Favorite personality trait that you possess? Hmm. Oh, Lord. No more dodge and answering. <laughs> My personality trait. <laughs> that's a really good question. There's a lot of things I don't like. I know. Well, that's, that's backwards. That's you easier, gotta, yeah. You got to um, know what you're, what you're great at, you know? I think I, I am very positive. I, I try and find the good in everybody and everything. That's a good one to have. And what about worst trait? Uh, I can be very impatient, uh, especially with incompetence. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's fair. That's probably my biggest problem. Uh, you don't deal well with dummies. Uh, it's not dummies. It's people that don't do their homework and aren't organized and you know stuff like that. I can't stand it. I understand that. I you understand. are very organized. And before we quit, because I know you're almost wrapping up, mm-hmm. Paul, I got to put in a plug. We're doing a Title IX celebration at ISU this year. And on June 24th, 25th, 26th, we will have a huge weekend that we're bringing back as many student athletes over the past five decades as possible. And um, we have a banquet on the night of the 25th that's open to the public. And people are welcome to come when we really look at Title IX and how it's impacted all these student-athletes. Awesome. One more time. What's the date? Where do people go? What time? June 25th. It'll be at the Bone Student Center. Um, We'll have some information out so you can register to attend the banquet. Um, But it should be a really cool event. Awesome. June 25th. You said this is public? The banquet is, most of it is for student-athletes, so for all those in our community and wherever you are, come back for this event. It's a great time to reunion with everybody and enjoy all those relationships that you had when you played. Excellent. Great plug there. Last question. Jill Hutchison, what is the meaning of life? I think it's relationships. I think God put us here to develop relationships with other people, to help others that need help, to embrace others, and to share all of that we can. That was a beautiful answer right there. All right. Well, Jill Hutchison, I so much appreciate your time. And to everyone watching, thank you for watching and listening to The Paul Garcia Show. If you like this episode, subscribe on YouTube, like my page on Facebook, and maybe even follow me on Instagram. But most importantly, share this episode with your friends and your family. And if you'd like to support this show financially, consider making a one-time donation on the Venmo app to username The Paul Garcia Show. And if you'd like to support this show and gain exclusive early access to episodes like this one, become a patron on patreon.com forward slash Paul Garcia. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Paul Garcia. Until next Sunday, I'm your host, Paul Garcia. God bless and have a great week. And Jill, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate your time very much. Thanks, Paul. It was fun. Right on. That's a wrap.